Hello, Hawks fans, and welcome to the latest edition of the Talking Hawks Six Points. So after three successive weeks of maximum effort and honourable losses, the Hawks were outgunned, outworked, and ultimately outscored against the Freo Dockers on Saturday night at Optus Stadium. The Hawks walked into a perfect storm where the Dockers had been in the gun from the WA media all week and needed to come out and make a statement, and the statement they did. The Hawks looked slow and lethargic, which could be attributed to a young team being inconsistent. So here tonight on the six points, it's myself, and we are joined by co-host Liam. Liam, how are you going this evening? I'm going really well, Tim. How are you? Obviously, would rather have had a better result on Saturday night, but, you know, you live, you learn, you keep going. That's correct. It would have been nice to obviously come away with the four points, but alas, we didn't. But it's times like these, Liam, where we need to stick together and stick fat, and it's a great time to actually be part of that journey with our team as we make that climb up the mountain towards playing finals footy again. So if you want to become more involved with that journey, you might like to consider being part of the Talking Hawks player sponsorship. You'll have the chance to meet these players and share in a number of exclusive Hawthorne and Talking Hawks experiences. This season, Talking Hawks are sponsoring Denver Granger Barras, John Newcomb, as well as Jasmine Fleming. There's details in the podcast notes, or you can go to talkinghawks.com and join us in getting behind the Hawthorne Football Club. Yeah, uh, it's times like these you learn to love again, as the Free Fighters would say, and you know, times like these that make you remember why you're a football supporter, because it's not always going to be great, but it's times like these that make the good times worth it. And so if you get in and support the club, you can really say, you know, you were there when it was when it was not as good and you can reap the rewards. It's also not bad being able to say you support a club who's won 13 premierships in the last 60 odd years either. Uh, no. And again, you know, I'll often say in my lifetime, I'm, I just turned 24 a couple of months ago. I've seen four. That's one every six years. We've won a premiership in every decade since the 60s. The odds are in our favour. Get on board. Perfect time to join up and to help support the Hawthorne Footy Club. So we're about to go through the six main points from the Fremantle game. So Liam will have three points. I'll have three points. And these are our six key points. So our six points that we're going to take away. So in terms of the Fremantle clash, Fremantle 18 goals, 9-117. Defeated Hawthorne 7-6-48. We had Connor Nash and Will Day getting 26 disposals each. We had James Warple with 25, as well as Carl Amon, 25. And Mitch Lewis was our only multiple goal kicker where he kicked two. So, Liam, now that we've had a quick look at some of the stats, let's start off with our six points. So, Liam, we'll give you point number one. The first point I want to make, and I'm going to shock a lot of people, actually, I'm not going with a statistics-based point at all. I'm going with the point about discipline. Um, I think I, I said in a couple of chats when I was watching the game and I was making my note, because I, I actually like to watch a game and make notes on it as well as recording some data. And I was like, well, I, one thing I wrote down, we must give away some of the dumbest free kicks in the competition. Like James Sicily, our captain, and did the Fremantle player make the most of it? Yes. Did he also completely stonewall shove a Fremantle player in the back when all their momentum was going to take them over and make it one of the most obvious free kicks in the way? In the game, also yes, and to then rip your mouth guard out, turn around, and give the umpire an absolute gobful, even before the new descent rules were brought in, that was fifty meter. That was a fifty meter penalty every day of the week, like you know. And then there was another one. I can't remember the exact instance in the second quarter, but Fergus Green gave away a really sloppy free kick, just completely unnecessary, purely the result of shocking discipline. And then you know a careless fifty meter penalty from Sam Frost that was a fifty every day of the week. He just gave it up. You know, I get it that we're young. But these kind of things are real easy errors to avoid. And it's just a matter of actually, you know, a little bit of discipline. And again, 
I don't like calling out individual players, but your captain's got to be better than ripping the mouth guard out and hurling abuse at an umpire for a, a very easy free kick to call. Absolutely. And when you talk about, obviously, being a young team, these types of things that occur, Liam, they're momentum killers. Because yep. any momentum that you've got going, anything that you're doing to try and get back into the game and you're giving away these 50-metre penalties, you're giving away these silly penalties as such, it certainly comes back to hurt the team. And if we have a look at Sam Mitchell in the press conference, he actually spoke about that ill discipline. He spoke about the back line, obviously chopping arms, giving away 50 metres, giving away silly free kicks. And so that ill discipline was something that Sam Mitchell actually pointed to in the post-match press conference, which certainly makes this point number one an excellent starting point for tonight. Yeah, you just can't, and especially in the back line, you can't give away dumb free kicks like that. And then again, I keep coming back to it because he's our captain. You can't then turn around and act in that way when you... I'm sorry, James, that was a pretty clear free kick. Yes, the Fremantle player sold it. You also placed two hands in the back, extended your arms as his momentum was already taking him forward with quite a forceful shove. So it was a free kick every day of the week. And then the 50-meter penalty was... If I was Sam Mitchell, I'd been blowing up, to be honest, at my captain, who I was a big advocate of him being captain. I really like him as a leader and as a captain. But you can't be doing that. You know, what tone does that set to our young team? And frankly, it reflects poorly on him as well. And I know he's better than that, so... Absolutely. Well, I think your point there in terms of some of the leaders might be another point that we might touch on later on in this episode. So point number two, Liam, is my first point, and it's the need for that defensive pressure forward. So on Saturday night, we had four tackles inside 50 compared to Fremantle with 12. One of our players had three tackles inside forward 50. Do you want to have a guess who that might be? I mean, I have the name in front of me, but I'm guessing it's not a forward. It's not a forward. No, that's correct. It was a midfielder who obviously was in there for some of the the, uh, stoppages, and it was Connor Nash. So Nash had eight tackles, three of which were inside the forward 50. Then we look at the actual forwards that we had lining up. So let's think about it. Pressure forward acts. So for our small forwards, that's what we need to be seeing to try and keep the pill inside forward 50 so we can get some repeated stoppages, hopefully be able to get some of those cheap free kicks similar to what Fremantle got, or to be able to outwork the defense and get shots on goal. We had Dylan Moore with 19 pressure acts. And the next best forward on the night was C-Mac with 12. So Fremantle, their small forwards tackled, harassed, and pressured all night. And if we look at the current lineup that we had in terms of that forward 50, there was no one besides Dylan Moore who we could rely upon to be able to sort of roll the sleeves up to get involved in terms of that tackling pressure. And what we would give for a small forward like Paul Puopolo again, that little ball of energy who literally would tackle, harass, and pressure any opposition defender within sight. Thankfully, though, we have three at Box Hill who are all doing a tremendous job as we currently speak. So Sammy Butler, I know, has been working at Box Hill on his defensive pressure. And that was something that Colo spoke to him about during the Collingwood Magpie game uh, down at Box Hill City Oval. You've then got Jack O'Sullivan, who... Sam Mitchell has had to talk to about pulling back in terms of his tackle intensity because he wants to tackle everything that moves. And then we've got Josh Bennett as well. So we've got three young blokes down at Box Hill who are offering that defensive forward pressure, that tackling ability. And it'd be nice to see some of that, hopefully, in the AFL side very, very soon. Yeah, well, I think there's a spot opening up for probably Sam Butler, I'd say, with Tyler Brockman being suspended for a week. Hawthorne, don't challenge it, please. It was 
it was a bad tackle. It deserved a week. Um, yeah, I've watched a bit of Jack O'Sullivan. He really does have that. And we talk about this a lot on our other project. Um, he has that Tamara Smith kind of mentality of if a puppy turned up in the opposition jumper, he would probably tackle that. Yeah, he loves it. He absolutely loves the tackle, just Jack O'Sullivan. So I know he's been putting his hand up down at Box Hill with some excellent efforts, has, as has Sammy Butler. So it'll be interesting to see what happens because at the moment, when we have a resting Ruckman down there, when we have Mitch Lewis, big key forward, second game back from a knee injury, we've got Fergus Green, whose defensive uh, aspect of his game isn't a strength. We have Chad Wingard, who... Unfortunately, at the moment, hasn't been able to impact games. We've got Luke Bruce, who's in the twilight of his career. There's no one down there who's a small pressure forward who can actually help to lock that ball in. Yeah, we we we, we need it. Like at the end of the day, so much of your you know your ability to score comes from being able to hold the ball inside your forward fifty. And right now, once the ball goes to an opponent, they're able to just walk it out. And there's not much pressure on... There's also not much pressure impacting the quality of opponent ball use as well. Like, they're able to get it out at high quality. You know, often... that The pressure as much as anything, even if it's not locking the ball in directly, it forces a hat kick out to a contest where you can then drive it back in. And at the end of the day, then it just becomes a numbers game. Like, you get enough inside 50s, eventually you will score. Like, those small forwards just allow, just allow you to work the maths in your favour. So, I, I completely agree. I think that's a really good point that we need... Some small forward to put on some defensive pressure. I like Brockman tries. Like he's improved. That's improved visibly, and even in the last three weeks, I think his defensive pressure has improved. Um, he was very overzealous with one tackle. I will say to be kind to him because that, oh, that again I said earlier that was not a good tackle, and it frankly deserved a week, which he got for it. But yeah, I'll be curious to see what we do. You know, do we swing a couple of changes? You know, do we see maybe Chad Wingard managed? Do we see? Yeah, I'm curious to see what we do because do we see, do we bring CJ back in and say you're going to play as a pressure forward? You know, there's there's options available. We need to start using them. Absolutely. We now move to point three, Liam. So your second point for this evening. Would it be Liam if I didn't mention Rux at some point? Probably not. So I'm going to talk about Lloyd Meek. I wrote in the preseason, there's nothing Meek about that man. And when you look at him, there certainly isn't. However, his performances this year in terms of one aspect of his game were pretty poor, and that's his marking. So prior to this week, Lloyd Meek had taken zero contested marks and had taken six marks in round one, one in round two, one in round three, two in round four, and none in round five. So a man who's six foot eight and probably gets a discount to be listed at 110 kilos of pure muscle, takes 10 marks in five weeks, none of which were contested. Doesn't quite scream, keep picking me. However, this year, this week, he took four contested marks from his six, a couple of really nice intercepts as well against Sean Darcy and Luke Jackson, who were no slouches in here themselves. Yeah, took, so, you know, four contested marks. You know, honestly, most of the notes I made in the first half a lot of them were about his marking and his presence. But he actually started impacting the game in the air, which I was really happy about, you know, both intercepting and as a target down the line. You know, he then took some good marks on the lead as well. And even though he didn't take any marks inside 50, I remember one in the second quarter when he he didn't hold it. But he had that ability to control the football. Like in, a few weeks ago, he was dropping it and then he was out of play. 
Now he drops it. So not only is he marking, he's following up more. So he drops the ball, gathers it, dishes out the handball, and he's able to keep the play moving. So the fact that he's now got having that presence in the air, if he can sustain that, we're going to see a lot more out of Lloyd Meek. And he's actually going to really provide that mobile second ruck and functional centre-half forward that we've been needing for a while. Yeah, it's an interesting point you make there in terms of that. Because when he came across from Fremantle, the word was all about his contest work and about his follow-up around the ground. And that's something that obviously we hadn't seen up until uh, up until this round. And I wonder, you know, coming up against your old squad, if that's something that was a bit of a, a motivator, a bit of a kick up the backside, because obviously he wanted to be able to prove that maybe he should have been able to get ahead of Sean Darcy. And he, he went about it in that first half, you know, doing really, really well. I want to ask a question here, Liam. Bit of a devil's Head advocate. Of Sean French, but... <laughs> bit of a, a devil's advocate here. We've tried now to play the, the dual ruck, whether it be Noodle and Meek. Obviously, we had Noodle and Rama last week, whether it was Noodle and Lynchy uh, when he went down with his concussion. But at the present time, we don't seem to be able to use that second ruck as that centre-half forward like you were speaking of. And it made me think about the statistics from last year because last year I think we had six games where we played with two ruckmen. We won five. And then I went back and thought, who was the second ruck? And it was Ben McAvoy, a premiership ruckman who was a captain. And I look at both Noodle and, and Lloyd and I go, neither one of you at the present time has those same capabilities that Big Boy was able to bring in terms of that forward craft. Well, it wasn't even Fordcraft with McAvoy. It was the fact that he could take a contested mark at really high levels. He was able to play as a forward because he was a good marker. With all due respect to Ben McAvoy, I think I'd almost beat him on the lead towards the end of his career. And I'm, and I, I look like I'm running in quicksand with concrete boots when I'm running. But Ben McAvoy's ability to clunk a contested mark in a pack was what allowed him to play as a forward, and then he could finish as well. Ned Reeves is normally a beautiful kick for goal. Like that's mm. not like, that's not Noodle's issue. The issue with both Noodle and Meek is their marking. In fact, that's why I was a bit sceptical of Meek when he came across, to be honest, was his marking. And this week, I thought he's shown, you know, and it's one game, granted. It's a small sample. He can do it. But can is different to does. Time to turn can into does, Lloyd. More consistently, please. More of them. Absolutely. We'd love to see him taking some more of those contested marks. And- Hopefully taking a few in the forward 50 as well, helping out Mitch Lewis in terms of that aspect would be wonderful. Point four, Liam, and this is going to tie in with what you were talking about before in terms of some of our leaders, and it's about leadership taking its toll. So on Saturday night, we had five of the leadership group playing. Obviously, Luke Bruce wasn't playing because he'd been managed. He was out resting. When the game's on the line and the game's starting to get out of our control, I look at the leaders of the past of Hawthorne who've been able to stand up and make it count. Your Luke Hodges, you know, being able to stand up, make it count. Sam Mitchell, when he was at Ben McAvoy, you know, in the past two years when he's been captain. And I know sometimes when people get leadership roles, it sort of spurs them on. And I know for other people, when they get leadership roles, sometimes it's hard because they're trying to work out, is it what's best for the team or what's best for the individual? And I think it's some of our leaders at the present time, they seem to be having a really tough time as to, how do I best impact the team, but also able to play my best game? Because I think of you know, James Sisley, pure frustration when he took the mouth guard out and gave the uh, the verbal barrage to the umpire. And you go, as a captain, you have to be better than that. 
Sam Frost in the leadership team, giving away cheap free kicks, gave away the 50-meter penalty. And I go, you have to be better than that. And I wonder if the leadership at the present time is starting to take its toll on some of these players because not only do they have the added emphasis of having to lead such a young team, and obviously it's challenging times and trying times, but also they have to try and impact the best way they can. And if you're playing in a team that's struggling, that's obviously going to be a difficult thing to do. Maybe as a backline, they they could have more impact because the ball's down there more. Um, although having said that, I think the next thing we're going to discuss also ties into our backline why they might be a bit frustrated. But um, yeah, they just need to keep their heads. And you know, we talked about it earlier. Our, our leaders have been, generally speaking, playing okay. They've been doing their role generally most weeks on the field. You know, it's hard to judge a small forward and a poor team. Often Jarman Impey's been one of our most impressive players this year, I've thought. I've really liked his game. Uh, Mitch Lewis hasn't played enough to comment fairly. Luke Bruce is up there with our leading goal kicker for the season. Sicily's been more than okay. Not at all Australian caliber this year, I don't think, but he's more than played a role. And then, you know, Frost is more hard to judge again. Frost has been serviceable defensively and then made some Sam Frost decisions with the football. Again, yeah, just their heads. I don't know where their heads are at. I'm not the person to cop. We're not the people to comment clearly, but I, I think they need to. They need to have a chat among you know who's going to be that young guy that stands up and says, "Hey, what's going on here?" You know, was, it, was it Jordan Lewis or Jared Ruffett or something in like their first or second year? Like stood up or no, actually it was Luke Loudon. I think it was. I remember the story. Luke Loudon like had not played a game, and basically just stood up and said, "Hey, yeah, so what are you going to do about it?" 2013 preseason it was because they were the leaders were talking about what they were going to do as leaders and he said but that's what you say you're going to do every year and it and it doesn't change. I found it interesting. I think it was after halftime when they came back on the huddle just before the second half started. Connor Nash appeared to be giving the address. Yeah, I wonder if they had a translator out there. <laughs> we love Nash and we love the way he goes about it. But I just found that fascinating because. Obviously, at the moment, you, you look at Nashi and he's trying to, guess, play in a style that, you know, follow me. Yeah. Get in there, get involved in all the rest of it. And just as I said on Saturday night, I wonder if that leadership, you know, that leadership title um, was starting to take a bit of a toll on, on some of those players because when the game started to slip out of our grasp, that would have been the time to see some of those leaders really stand up and be counted. You know, you spoke about Jarman Impey and I love Jars and I think he's had a great seasons you know to date but he only had the 15 on Saturday night yeah you know it would have been nice to see a bit more of that running gun from him and and get involved when uh, when the game was starting to slip away yeah and at the end of the day they're leaders for a reason time to show why that's it point five lamb your last point yes yeah, so this just ties this ties into what we just talked about and I mentioned I alluded to it earlier uh it's our defensive work in the midfield uh, to be frank, it wasn't good enough. I can understand why the back line are frustrated because the Bulls, they're able to come in and have uncontested entry into the forward 50. They're able to get one, find one-on-ones wherever they want. And when you're kicking to advantage in a one-on-one, more often than not, you're going to lose as a defender. So this week, Hawthorne recorded 1.36 tackles per minute of opposition possession. That was only worse. That, that was only better than North Melbourne's in the game that, that finished only an hour before we, we started recording this. 
Like that's just that's just not good enough. Ranking 17th in the competition for a stat that's pretty much pure effort is just not good enough. You know, aside from Connor Nash, who laid eight tackles, you know, Harry Morrison laid four. You know, New Newcomb and Warple three each. Day two, Reeves three, Meek two, Amon zero, Ward one. Like Connor Nash laid 16% of our team's tackles by himself and laid around 30% of tackles laid by people I just listed as midfielders by himself. Like our midfield has to work more defensively. Because otherwise, it's great if we're winning the clearances, which, I mean, we dominated them in the first half. By the way, I think it was about three to 10 or something after half time center clearances, and we lost stoppage clearances all night. Like, what, what are we going to do? Like, at the end of the day, if they're just able to say, okay, we got one on ones, which one do we want to go to? There has to be pressure on the kick, you know? And this is something Freeman actually did really well. You know, they, they forced us to have a lot of hack kicks out of the middle. A lot of our clearances were rushed hack kicks out of the middle that were either high or in areas where they'd be able to get numbers to the football. And at the end of the day, your midfield has to work back defensively, but you are in the midfield because you can go both ways. You can go forward and you can go back. You know, you need balanced combinations because players have different strengths. Yes, but that midfield simply should be working harder defensively. And again, that tackles per minute of opposition metric, that is pure effort. Yeah, it's interesting. I think with uh, with HMO, he actually laid two of his four in the back line when he was down in sort of that uh, half-back region. So you take those out and you look at the statistics and it's even more scary when you look at it because, as you said, it comes down to effort. If you've got Nashi laying eight and then the next best, and as I said, if you take the uh, the two from Hatesmo that he laid in the back line, the next best is three from both Warps yeah. and, and Jai. And you go, wow, like you shouldn't have a player almost tripling the next best. Yeah. One player should not lay a third of your midfield's tackles by themselves. You know, one player should not lay over 15% of your team's tackles by themselves. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if we do see Connor Nash get given the uh, the fan-voted MVP for his performance on the weekend because, you know, the effort that he put in, I know when it came to the uh, the fourth quarter, I think there was one one time in that fourth quarter where he you could see him, he was trying his hardest to bust a gut and to get back and help out the uh, the defense. And he he looked like he was running in that quicksand because of the the effort that he'd obviously put his body through all night for the team. Yeah, and he's, he's one of our best runners as well. That's it. We now move to point six and my last point, Liam. And I want to finish on a bit of a positive note because at the moment we haven't really spoken about too many positives, but I want to finish... On a positive note, and it's about young Josh Weddle. So, second game in uh, in AFL, he's been asked to play as that third defender. And I guess in terms of that, he's a bit undersized. He's 191 centimetres, so he's not huge. Mind you, we've got James Sisley playing as a key defender at 186 centimetres. So, you know, he's, this certainly isn't, uh, isn't the size of that key defender. But we've got young Weddle that we've asked to play as that third, uh, third tall defender. And... He's in an undersized back line where, as we just pointed, the midfield isn't getting back to help out in terms of blocking up holes and all the rest of it. But I thought his effort on Saturday night was tremendous. 12 touches, five of which were contested. He went at 83% disposal. He had six intercept possessions, three tackles. He made as many tackles in the back line as some of our midfielders did for the whole night. And I love the effort. That's it. But I love the effort of him over the, the past fortnight because... He doesn't look overawed on the uh, on the big scene. He doesn't like being beaten. So he was in four one-on-one contests. He lost zero. Four one-on-one contests, Liam. 
as a, an undersized young, uh, young defender, he lost zero of them and he had seven defensive half pressure acts. And you just go, that's what we want to see as supporters. We want to see those green shoots. And here's Weds in his second game, continuing to show them. And I would love to see him be given an opportunity to push up onto a wing. Because I think if he was able to use some of that speed on the wide expanses of Optus Stadium, like we played on Saturday night at the MCG, you could almost shut the gates. He is that quick and it'd be fascinating to watch. But I love the way he's going about it. And I'm glad that he's been given the opportunity. I know he's incredibly close uh, for the Easter Monday game before he unfortunately rolled his ankle at training. Went back to Box Hill, performed, and now he's been given two games. And I reckon we'll see his name in the brown and gold, playing on the MCG and the like uh, many more times before the season's out. Yeah. And, I mean, I put it to you, a guy who doesn't turn 19 till the end of the month should not be your standout, one of your, among your top couple in terms of effort. You know, if anyone's overawed, it's probably going to, it should be the youngest player on your team. He was one of the ones who was the least phased by the Purple Haze. You know, he he was more than serviceable. At the end of the day, we're not asking him to be a star. We're playing him out of position and say, do a job, which he played at junior level, admittedly. But, you know, we're effectively, because our backline is undersized that I've banged on about on the podcast a few times, we're forcing him to say, okay, we're going to have to curtail your strengths in terms of your athleticism and your ability to give us some drive out of the defensive half and into the forward half because we need the fact that you're tall and capable defensively to do a job. And he's, the, he's just saying, yep, I'll do it. I'm here to play a role for the team. And quite frankly, he's got some teammates who could learn from him. Absolutely. It all comes down to that effort, which we love to see. And as you said, he did it in the under-18s, but there's a big difference between doing it in the under-18s and doing it against grown men. And he is making it look seamless in terms of that transition. So we love the way that Weds is going about it. And we uh, look forward to seeing him be able to perform that way throughout the rest of the season. So this brings us to the end of the Talking Hawks six points. But before we leave, if you haven't already liked us and followed us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, please make sure to do so at Talking Hawks. If you haven't subscribed or followed us on YouTube, please make sure you do. On Wednesday night, we will have the live stream where we'll continue to look at the Fremantle Dockers game before we turn our attention to the game against Melbourne at the MCG on Saturday afternoon at 4.35, I believe it is. And then finally, if you haven't already liked and followed us on your favorite podcast provider, please make sure you do. Click that little bell. That will let you know anytime that the Talking Hawks podcast come out, whether it's the six points like you are listening to right now, whether it's the opposition analysis, whether it's player review, uh, player interviews, you name it, we have it here on Talking Hawks because at Talking Hawks, we love to connect Hawthorne fans from all across the globe. This has been the Talking Hawks six points for the Fremantle Dockers game. And until next time, go the Hawks.